Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl and we are now on chapter 3. Uh, credits as usual, theme tune Gemma Dyer, illustrations in the books by Tom Brown. Please buy the books, please buy the books. <laughs> I also have a box set on the Kofi where you can grab um, the first two novels as an ebook, and a load of short stories and a novella and um, other stuff for, uh, I think it's 10 99 at the moment. So go and check that out. Um, and if you want to become a member, I still have places on the Eldritch Seekers tier, which is just £3 a month. So price of a coffee, pay for me to have a bubble tea and sit and write my stuff. <laughs> that would be very much appreciated. If you just want to give a one-off tip in the Kofi, also fine. If you just want to sit back and enjoy, also fine. And if you're the kind of person who is enjoying it and is like drawing fan art, or like writing fanfic about it let me know because I love that shit I'd be, that would be so cool that would like make my year um, so don't be shy I don't bite that's a lie I do bite but I promise I won't bite you how's that um, so I hope that you enjoy chapter 3 um, I also hope you're enjoying the bonus episode so far as well. We've got another great one this week. So excited. Um, check out um, Eldritch Girl Pod at Eldritch Girl Pod on Twitter uh, and you'll be able to see what's coming up and check out cmrosens.com as well um, and you'll be able to find the transcripts um, for everything that's coming up so far. The podcast uh, author interviews has its own page. So you'll be able to see on my website um, all the exciting authors that we've got lined up. So chapter three, we have seen better days. And this is a quote from Timon of Athens by William Shakespeare, Act Four, Scene Two. But before I completely forget, content warnings for chapter three. Um, oh God, yeah. So this is the chapter where we've got all of the open wound stuff, uh, the parasitical potential trypophobia descriptions. The uh, it's quite graphic, um, and I, we also have somebody being sick in this chapter. So we have a bit of a mesis in this chapter as well. Um, it's a Katie chapter, and there's also a Wes part in it. So part two is Wes. Um, so be prepared for the sexual innuendo and uh, references to all kinds of shit um in his point of view um and there's a bit of depression and suicide ideation as well in in both so just uh, be aware of that going forwards chapter two we have seen better days 17th of march Katie knew showing up in a town where Everin thought she'd been brutally murdered was not the best idea, but she was sick of the gilded confines of the penthouse flat, and Wes sounded serious. It would have to be pretty serious, Katie thought, grim and sulky, for him to spend time with me. She didn't want to waste her energy changing and showing up naked to a place where she didn't have access to clothes, so Wes bought her train tickets to come down in the morning. Just because the beast could travel through space and time didn't always make that the most convenient option. Pagamonsey Parkway was the station outside the old town serving the new council estates, the Jubilee and Queen Mary developments now joined together with blocks of flats and ringed around by a high, well-lit wall bristling with CCTV. 
Katie could see the estate and its unwelcoming architecture from the platform, the lurid purple of the travel inn towering in front. She tried not to think about her friends who lived on the estate and how their lives were going on without her. She just wanted a tiny piece of her life back before all she was good for was devouring her own family. Ducking her chin into her pastel pink scarf, Katie hoped that, and the matching cap, would obscure her features enough from the platform cameras. Charlie had taken her to a hairdresser, so her hair was now a nest of jaw-length ringlets in the same style as Charlie had, gelled and styled within an inch of its life, but the sea air would have them dropping and lank in no time. She didn't think anyone would recognise her. She barely recognised herself. Katie glanced at the opposite side of the tracks, at the platform from which her cousin had abducted her nearly three months ago, and shivered. January, and the person she'd been then, felt like a whole lifetime ago. Now she was supposed to track him down. Closing her eyes, she focused on her oldest brother until she felt a tug in her chest. Wes was waiting for her beyond the gates. Passing through the ticket barrier, she spotted her brother's gleaming red monstrosity behind an ancient hatchback in one of the parking bays, and rolled her eyes. He stuck his arm out of the window in a casual wave, as if she could miss him. Katie jogged over and slung her handbag down at her feet. "'You're still alive, then?' Wes was just a suit in her peripheral vision, his expression impossible to pin down, his image invisible to her, until she faced him. He snorted. Yep. Are you okay? Katie side-eyed him, trying to get a read on his body language from the way his purple silk shirt creased, the movement of his trousers, or the flick of his cuffs. Busy? Tired? Nothing to worry about? He looked at her, and she remembered the shade of his foundation, but not the shape of his jawline and the rise of his cheekbones, the eyeliner smudged into a smoky glower, but not the colour and size of his eyes. Something's up. She feigned disinterest. Do you think you ought to be buying a nightclub if it's this much hassle? That was his latest venture. As far as Katie knew, that's what had been occupying all his time and weekends for the past month and a half, although she'd noticed the mood swings were worse, and his temper was on a shorter fuse. That is, when he was around at all. I'm getting a manager in. That's not what's bothering me right now. It's our bloody cousin. Can you tell where he is? If he's left town, or... or what? His curtness bothered her. His tone slid out of reach like the details of his face, but left her with a defensive twinge, like Ricky's disappearance was her fault somehow. Since he wasn't in the mood for conversation, even though they hadn't been alone together for over two weeks, Katie pursed her lips and let her focus seek their soothsayer. The beast knew where to find any bloodkin of theirs, and seeking Ricky was child's play to that instinctual part of her. Seeking their kin was like looking for individual maggots, while Ricky loomed in her consciousness like the whole carcass. She called out to him, heart to heart, and a shooting pain stabbed through her chest in response. Katie gasped, pushing down on her chest, such as it was, the arrows firing through her breasts and leaving her breathless and sore. Fuck! Language, Rez retorted, and she punched his thigh, wincing. Eyes watering, she tried a slower breath, and the pain sparked up again. Ow! Ow! That fucking hurts! What's wrong with him? That's a big question, Wes muttered. Any idea where he is? Devil's Drop, she said, forgetting its real name for a moment, but Wes knew exactly where she meant. He started the engine and the car purred into life. 
"'Brace yourself,' he said. "'I don't think I've ever known him this upset. "'Not upset enough to kill his mum and dad, at any rate.' "'Katie kept quiet. "'She didn't want to bring up that she could relate, "'but their dead siblings and parents hung between her and Wes "'in a veil of unspoken ghosts. "'The road swept them through town and towards the coast, "'and along the narrow road to Unger Point, "'running parallel with the other train track.' It came to a dead end outside a caravan park, eerily quiet with a few kids playing near the closed public toilets. She broke the pregnant silence. This is it. He's down there. She hopped out and headed for the steps down from the cliff to the beach, Wes following at a short distance. The kids were silent except for the ping of the plastic ball as they kicked it between them. Even the gulls were circling without calling, riding the winds out to sea. The steps were slippery with sea spray and early morning drizzle, and steep enough that Katie had to navigate them slowly, clinging to the rail. She jumped the last few steps onto the shingle, converse digging into the loose stones and sucking into the wet sand. The tide was turning. She knew which cave to go for, the one everyone avoided. Unger Point was notorious for disappearances, and local legend claimed the scuttling noises from within the unwelcoming fissure was the ghost of a smuggler, walled up by his own gang to die. Here, she said, waving Wes over, and slipped into the roughly triangular entrance. The rock was slimy with algae, and she tried not to rub up against any of it. The cave narrowed into a lower tunnel, and honeycombed off at the back into rounder holes big enough to crawl through. Katie got out her phone and shone the flashlight at them. There were weird pockmarks in the sand, like crustacean tracks, if lobsters were the size of Dobermans. "'Oh, fuck me,' Katie whispered. She wriggled her low-rise jeans down a bit at the back so she could release her tail, and the band cut into her uncomfortably against the underside of her vestigial tail from which her scorpion stinger-tipped exoskeleton could be squeezed out. It was too narrow for her tail to really do much, though. She couldn't get a good swing and stab at anything. Her brother's voice hissed into the entrance. Richard? You in here? There was silence. It's me, she added, then realised that might be unhelpful. It's Katie. Shine your light over there. Wes was much closer than she'd thought. She bumped into him and he pushed her tail away, holding on to it so it didn't swing back into his face. She swung her phone over the rock and saw a long vertical crack off to the left that she could squeeze through sideways. "'I've got a good feeling about that,' Wes said behind her, with both hands wrapped firmly around the length of articulated bone, and a bit of a bad one, too, if you know what I mean. Katie shook him off and retracted the tail all the way to the wicked tip, so she could slide through, choking on the dank air. The place stank. It was a mix of ammonia and sulphur, sewage and meat rotting in brine. Katie braced herself. Her flashlight picked out a dirty sleeping bag, small bones and bottles. She moved it around and it cast a pool of harsh light on Ricky's unconscious form, slumped against the wall in his trademark hoodie and well-fitting sweatpants Carrie had probably bought him, now stained with dark bruised shades of wet filth and vomit. The pull cord of his hoodie was on the floor, a discarded grey string. Something rolled under her foot. She shone the light down and it picked out a plastic syringe, the needle still in place. Shit! She stared at it. Is this his? What's he taken? Wes pushed his way through behind her, his own phone torch shining on the debris. I'm not a doctor, but I'm guessing it's not paracetamol. 
"'You should have told me,' Katie said, kicking the syringe out of the way. "'You should have fucking told me it was this bad.' Wes blew out a slow breath. "'I didn't know.' She kept her flashlight trained on the ground, picking her way towards her comatose cousin and battling the smell. "'God, this stinks. Can we move him?' Wes set his jaw, nodding. "'Yeah, maybe. We can give it a shot.' He scanned the cave with his own light and sprang back with a shout, making her jump and spin around. There was nothing in the dark, but a frantic scan of the rock revealed a discoloration in the rough shape of a standing figure. Wes's light lingered on it, but the corner itself was empty. "'Shitting hell! I thought there was a guy back there!' Wes sagged, panting hard. "'Just had this feeling we weren't alone, and fuck!' "'Okay.' Katie came a bit closer, but she was worried about Ricky's tendrils and tendency to be violently unpredictable under the influence. We're fine. Come on, let's try and get him out of here. Where did he get this shit from? Wes shot her a glance she couldn't read, and then forgot anyway. She tried to focus on details like the stains on the hems of his designer jeans, the creases where his knees were bent, the way his silk shirt rippled from mulberry to black in the LED glare. It's called Devil's Drop for a reason. Where do you think the dealers in this town get their gear? Drop, as in drop-off point. They pick it up from here. Katie figured it out and grimaced. Oh yeah, of course you'd know that. Less of a judgement, thank you. I've... Okay, fine, if you must know. I've not been around lately because I've been getting myself sorted out. Tina let me stay at her place while I, you know, detoxed. He gave her a crooked smile. Now I'm the sober one. Imagine that. Katie couldn't. He couldn't even quit smoking for more than a few weeks at a time, and then he'd start again and lie about it. She hoped he was telling the truth. That's... wow. That's huge, though. I wish you told me. I didn't really want you to know how bad it was to start with, Wes said, and Katie's heart skipped. It was the closest he'd come in months to saying he cared about her. The moment was broken by Wes clapping his hands, the sharp retort cracking back at them around the fetid walls. Right, back to it, we're here for him, not for me. Ricky stirred and lifted his head. Katie didn't get a good look under the hood, but the glimpse she got made her wince. Ricky, Wes said more gently, can you hear me? Come on, Katie's been missing you too. Ricky bared his teeth. They were filed into points and stained. Under the stubble his cheeks were sunken, eyes glittering and unfocused, deep bags underneath, heavy and bruised. He ignited something visceral in her belly, but Katie wasn't a kid any more. She wasn't scared of him now. "'Do we still even need him?' Katie asked, a cold tension knotting her stomach. Her tail clicked out slowly. "'I mean, Carrie likes me.' She'd let me in to use the pendle stone if we needed it, right? Wes made a swift chopping motion at neck level, indicating she should kill that line of conversation. She's burning a hole in my pocket right now, so you can always ask her, he whispered, patting his jeans. He raised his voice. Ricky, come on, I'll get you whatever you want. We have to go now, though, OK? You coming? Katie tucked her phone in her pocket so the light still peeked out over the edge and grabbed Ricky's other arm. "'How are we getting him off the beach?' she asked. "'The steps are really steep.' Wes sighed. "'Let's... one thing at a time, yeah? "'Let's just get him out of here first. "'I can't stand the smell any more.' 
Ricky was more tractable than she'd feared when they did get him up and mostly on his feet, but it took some manhandling to get him through the fissure and back into the entrance. The tide was creeping up the shingle. Katie heard the scuttling behind them. What's that noise? No time, the tide's turning. Wes adjusted his grip on their cousin as Ricky slumped, a sudden dead weight across both their shoulders. Katie popped her tail out, just in case. I don't think anything will bother us, Wes reassured her. God, he weighs something, doesn't he? It wasn't his weight that Katie was bothered by. Her bare arm around his back was wet and sticky. The flesh underneath didn't feel right. Is that blood? Is he bleeding? Katie realised his hoodie was covered in stains, and they were worse on one side and across his back. She retracted her tail in case she injured him by accident. Wes was distracted, trying to see if the coast was clear beyond the cave mouth. Katie tried to regain his attention. Wes? Wes! We need to get this off him and have a proper look. I think he's really hurt. Ricky twisted in their grip and snarled viciously at her. Cherry red dots blazed in his dilated pupils. His rank, sour breath hit her full in the face. Wes tugged him away. You're scaring her, man. Stop. It's fine. Katie said, letting go of a nervous lung full of air. This is not fucking fine. Wes dragged them forward and Katie stumbled but righted herself. She must have hit Ricky's back as she tried to readjust her grip on him because he arched and let out a grunt of pain. Shit. Wes pulled them out to the tide line and yanked on Ricky's hoodie to lift it up. Ricky bellowed as the fabric parted from a mass of deep festering wounds. He stumbled forwards but stayed on his feet. Katie nearly screamed. She cupped her hands around her mouth. Wes froze. Christ on a bike! The skin around the wounds was a mess of weeping burn blisters. There were dark maggoty things wriggling in the pus, which seemed to be the same as the things she'd seen pour from his head after driving a poker through it. His side had a deep, jagged slash that wasn't healing, puddles of green and white discharge collecting in the deeper recesses of it, reeking of something rotten. Oh my God, how is he alive? Katie fought the urge to vomit. Wes was visibly gagging. I, I don't, he paused, swallowing hard. This, his dad did that, Uncle George did that. Ricky was crying softly, tears streaming down his face, gritting his teeth through the pain. Where's Carrie? Katie whispered. Wes fished in his pocket and held up a chip of terracotta. He tossed it onto the beach. No wonder he didn't want to see her, or didn't want her to see him. But this is fucking hell. He has to change, Katie said as the terracotta began to swell and grow. He has to change right now. She didn't know where the urgency came from, why she suddenly cared. I don't, she told herself, trying to calm down. I don't care. He's only alive because I promised not to kill him. But that wasn't fair. She'd be dead right now, or one of Uncle Barry's experiments, if it wasn't for Ricky Porter. She wouldn't have lived long enough to change if it wasn't for him. Now she had fully ascended, and the family cowered at the mention of her name. It was easy to forget that. Katie swallowed, ashamed of herself, but still conflicted. "'Hey, King Richard, darling, you're okay. Wes braced himself, and Ricky dropped his forehead against Wes's chest, putting his whole weight behind it. Wes squeezed Ricky's upper arm with one hand and stroked the back of his head with the other. Now his hood was down, Katie could see the second lips at the back of her cousin's shaved skull were glued shut with some crusty excretion. 
Wes stroked them as Ricky ruined the front of his shirt, and Katie watched Carrie sprouting from the chip of tile. Her brother was murmuring gently, but his tone washed out of her memory, leaving only a vague sensation of jealousy behind. He hadn't spoken to her in forever, let alone held her and told her it was going to be okay. Now here he was, cozying up to the cousin he'd always told her to stay away from, as if they were best friends. "'You're okay. You're a god, remember?' You're okay. Something vaguely carry-shaped, what once had been a woman with a slender, underfed frame, not as athletic as Katie, nor quite as tall, terracotta and gleaming with cracked glaze, formed. It found its voice, melodic and resonant, with a hint of panic. Oh, my God! Wes shushed her over the top of Ricky's head, and kept supporting him against his chest. Listen, listen to me. We're here now. We've came to find you. Katie hovered, feeling useless. Carrie settled into a human shape about an inch taller than Ricky was, hair stiff and lacquered into a ponytail with streaks of silver wire threaded in the glaze. Wes was murmuring low and soft in Ricky's ear, in that intimate way he had of making people feel special. Katie didn't catch what he said, but it wasn't meant for her. Ricky pushed him away. I can't go home. Sure you can. She's already here, see? Carrie approached, exuding a soothing smell of homely comfort. Wes handed him over, and Ricky stumbled into her. "'Hey,' Carrie whispered. Ricky recognised her voice, and his face went slack. Carrie pulled him against her, avoiding his back, gripping his arm with one hand and wrapping the other around the back of his head. "'I can't come home,' he repeated, voice cracking. "'Yes, you can.' She kissed the top of his head, and Ricky broke down and sobbed into her like a child. Katie turned away, an unwitting voyeur of something intensely private. She took a few steps towards Wes, shingle rolling under her shoes, and he put his arm around her. Just one arm, and not exerting too much pressure, but Katie's chest warmed. She adjusted the waistband of her jeans to tuck her tail stub in more comfortably, and stepped closer into her brother's side. "'I killed him.' Ricky mumbled into Carrie's clothes like she was a confessional. He gripped her hard, fistfuls of fabric squeezed out of shape in a sudden spasm. Carrie let him, keeping him close. I killed him. I know. She kissed the top of his head again. I know you did. Ricky shook his head. He half turned to Wes and Katie, his lips peeled back in a grimace. I'm a fucking god! What's he want? I didn't... I didn't even know I was hitting him. Katie shivered. We need to get him home, she said, tugging Wes's shirt. Will he be okay? Yeah, Wes sounded sure, but Katie didn't know how he was sure. Isn't your car only a two-seater? Katie asked Wes. There's four of us. Wes grimaced. I'll drive him. Carrie doesn't take up much space. You can do your thing to get there if she's got enough food in. I'll take your clothes in the car. Carrie nodded. I can carry him up there. Wes shot her a glance while checking for his car keys. You could always just leave him here to sleep it off, though. It's not like he's your master. Very funny. Carrie exchanged a look with Katie. I want him home. Wes turned to Katie, raking a hand through his hair, reasserting his prickish big brother attitude. Katie, off you go, babe. Sort something out for when we get back. You can manage that, yeah? His tone made her want to throw something at him or stab him in the head. 
Even though she forgot it as soon as he stopped talking, white-hot indignation flared and blazed in her chest, so she knew it must have pissed her off. "'I've managed pretty fucking well so far,' she spat at him, "'considering you're never even around to see what I can manage.' She stormed up the steps to the cliff path without waiting for them, mood souring with the urgency of it all. She was the one doing the dirty work. She was the family's god they all bowed to and feared, not Wes, and not that prick who'd killed Gran and put her in this position in the first place. Her sympathy evaporated in the white-hot rage of how fucking unjust everything was. She was a god, and now she didn't even have any friends. She took her clothes off without giving a shit if anyone saw, and the beast jumped into the void. And that was chapter three, part one. Chapter three, part two is coming next week. Stay tuned for the next bonus episode and you're going to get a really cool interview. Um, so I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, I think that one is going to be Paula D. Ash talking about body horror and all sorts of fantastic stuff. Um, and her book, We Are Here to Hurt Each Other. So really looking forward to that. See you next week. Bye now.